What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. morning church how are we all good how awesome was that child dedication I love them they are really special good work Pip so it's happening guys 2023 is well and truly underway um, for those of you who like math we're already 117th of the way through the year it's happening before we know it we're going to be gorging ourselves on chocolate at Easter we'll be doing all our tax returns mid-year and then soon we get to see Caden with that double piano set up for carols again. And if we're really fortunate, Pastor Adam will don that glorious kangaroo suit and dance around on stage. That was truly, truly special. But it's all happening. Did you guys notice that they had hot cross buns on the shelves at Coles this year, the day after Christmas? Like, seriously. Settle down. But that's just what happens, isn't it? I mean, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the new year, and then we just start that churn on into the year ahead. And this year, what we wanted to do is we wanted to start the year right by doing a bit of a mini-series in January on grace. And I think what better way for us to start the year than zooming in and focusing on the grace of God to us who believe. Um, and so this morning, what I want to do is I really want to encourage each of you to really ask God to speak to you this morning. Ask the Spirit to search your heart so that you can receive something from Him this morning because I can't give that to you. I am convinced that when it comes to grace, it needs to be a revelation of the Spirit of God. It's not about the eloquence of words or the oration of a speaker or the construction of a great idea. It really needs to be a work of the Spirit to truly understand grace. And this idea is conveyed in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Uh, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And I truly believe that grace is one of those things, that our minds just struggle uh, to wrap themselves around, but God's Spirit is able to reveal grace to us in a way that transforms our lives. And so uh, for those of you who have maybe missed some of the other sermons in the series, we've had Pastor uh, Pip, Pastor Don and Pastor Adam cover different aspects of uh, grace. And I guess to sum up what grace is, it is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God on our lives. Uh, and, and grace that grace works its way into our lives in a just myriad of different ways. It works uh, by transforming us, by redeeming us, by freeing us. That grace empowers us as well. Um, and today, what we're going to be looking at is grace in our story. And I'm really excited about this one. 
I think I got the pick of the litter because I can stand before you all here this morning and say that the grace of God has fully transformed my life. And so this morning, I think it's probably fitting um, that as we talk about God's grace in our story, that I share maybe a little bit of my own story and God's grace in my own story. I've been on staff here at Southport for about nine months now, um, and so I'd love to just maybe open up with you guys a little bit about how God's grace uh, has worked uh, in my own story. So for those of you who don't know, I do not come from any fine Christian heritage. Uh, Quite the opposite. I was born uh, the second son uh, to teenage parents. My mum was just 16 years old when she had her first kid. Uh, And by the time she was 20, she had three uh, boys. My poor mum. Three red-headed boys, honestly. (laughs) Seriously. We did not make life easy for her at all. Um, But my parents both came uh, from pretty broken backgrounds themselves, with a lot of uh, trauma and a lot of hurt in their own stories. Um, And as you know, when you've got your own trauma and your own issues, and then you just decide to have uh, kids, it just makes them easier. Everything just sorts out magically. (laughs) Well, uh, my parents... um, uh, were young, and, and, and I was quite young when we moved back down to Tasmania, uh, and I spent most of my early childhood uh, kind of growing up on large properties and farms, kind of uh, shooting animals, uh, milking cows, uh, riding horses and ponies, you know, real country bumpkin stuff. I know you guys probably can't tell by the refined, well-spoken gentleman that you see before me now, but yeah, I'm a country kid. Anyway, my parents' relationship was very tumultuous, as you uh, can imagine. I love them so much, and I think that they did a really good job with the hand that they were dealt, but by the time I was probably six or seven years old, my parents uh, separated after a lot of conflict in that relationship. Um, And that took its toll on me, uh, and and as it can sometimes when kids have to kind of see that and live through that. Uh, And from there, uh, us kids, we kind of went back and forwards with our parents a few times and eventually moved up to Queensland. Uh, And neither of my parents finished high school, uh, so you can imagine uh, we we didn't have too much money at all. Uh, There were times living with my dad, I remember, when he was really trying to get into the housing market where we just didn't have two cents to rub together. And I think the barometer of how poor we were really came to the surface when I realised I was the only kid I knew that had to drink milk in powdered form. Do any of you guys have to do that? Can I actually see, can I see some hands, some powdered milk hands? Wow, it actually feels good. So, <laughs> feels good to know I'm not the only one. So you guys who have drank milk in powdered form know as well as I do that milk shouldn't have a powdered form. <laughs> anyway, it kind of showed me that, that we, we didn't have a lot of money at all, and it was quite difficult to get by uh, during those years. And, and for most of my childhood, my family uh, did not talk about God much. It wasn't a conversation that we had. I don't remember going to church as a young child uh, at all. But I just remember in the back of my mind thinking, this can't all be an accident. This can't all be purposeless. I'm sure that there's some type of uh, creator there. And in my late primary years, both of my parents actually ended up being invited to and going along to churches separately. My mum to a quite charismatic kind of style church, my dad a really kind of conservative church, and both of them found their own faith uh, and also invited us kids to kind of explore that ourselves. Um, But I... 
if I'm really honest, I listened a little bit, but I was really disinterested, particularly as I started to kind of get into my high school years. I thought church was boring and I did not want to be there and I made up every excuse and every lie to get out of going when my parents tried to force me. Um, I just wanted to do my own thing, go my own way, and that's exactly uh, what I did. And I found that in my teenage years, a lot of my own brokenness really boiled to the surface there. I got mixed up with the worst uh, that high school had to offer. I developed uh, pretty confronting addictions. I found myself in unhealthy relationships. I hardly turned up at school towards the end there. I got in a lot of fights. I... uh, then became a young adult and just kind of threw myself into everything that the world had uh, to offer me. And I just wanted to, if, when I think about it, I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to feel included uh, by the people around me, but I was very self-absorbed and it felt hollow and empty. But somehow the world kind of kept sucking me back into it as if the next temporary high that the world would offer me would finally give me that deep satisfaction of the soul that I knew that I was looking for. Uh, the problem is, is it never did. But God intervened in my life. There was a moment uh, I was by myself in my room, um, and I just kind of—I remember just walking out, and I just picked up a book off my mum's bookshelf, and I, I do not remember why. Um, I can't tell you any reason for it, but I just picked it up and I just started reading. Uh, And it was like finding a light in a dark room. It felt appointed. The book kind of spelled out to me the situation that I was in in a way that just made sense. I started to see that the sin that I was chasing wasn't giving me what I wanted. Instead, it was building a prison around me. It was chaining me. It was robbing me. And it stole my life from me rather than giving life to me. And I remember for the first time in my life, the weight of sin and the weight of my own shame actually hit me and I had remorse for it. Because I don't know if you guys were like that pre-Christ, but I had this thing in my mind where I would always self-justify. I would justify everything that I did, that I wasn't in the wrong, that other people were. But all of a sudden, I accepted my sin. I accepted my consequences. I accepted the weight of it, and I no longer wanted it to rule my life. I wanted it off me. And so on my knees, by myself, in that room, uncoached by anybody, I got down and I said, God, if you are really real the way this book says that you're real, then I do want to know you, and I will give you my life. And guys, it was that moment that the grace of God was just poured out into my life. I mean, God's grace had always been working behind the scenes. But for the first time, I experienced it for myself. I experienced and I knew the forgiveness and the life of God. And the next morning when I woke up, I just noticed that there was this seismic shift that had occurred inside of me. I felt the power of God change my heart and change my desires. Where previously all I had was this kind of really consuming desire and lust for sin. I had this kind of competing desire for righteousness that was welling up within my heart that I did not have before. It was a desire to know God, a desire uh, to want to chase after him and an ability to love other people that I previously just did not have. And from there, repentance uh, came into my life, and I started to just drop these things that were consuming. I dropped those addictions. I broke out of a lot of those unhealthy relationships that I had around me. And I also just began to read the Bible. It was... um, 
It was so powerful for me at that time. And I didn't read it out of religious obligation because I felt like I had to. I didn't read it because I felt like I had to maintain some, some salvation that I'd received. I did it because I wanted to know this God more deeply. I remember I read the whole New Testament in the span of about a week. I just could not get enough. God was speaking to me and changing me. There was a full desire shift. And I also thought to myself, you know what, maybe I might actually like church now. That's weird. I might actually like it. So I found a church, and I remember walking in the back doors and just kind of sneaking into the very back row, and I remember hearing these people sing to this God that I just met, and I just cried these tears of joy, thinking, I'm at home with the family of God, and God is doing work here in the midst of all this mess. And I loved it. I experienced a newness of life, like what Jesus talks about, a spiritual rebirth. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17, it says, So from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I experienced this in my own life in the most tangible, practical way. And, and from there, I guess a lot of you guys will know a part of my story. I went on to Bible college. I served in ministry. I went to university. I became a Baptist pastor. And since then, I've really just tried to orient my life around serving God by serving uh, His people. And I also found myself the most beautiful uh, Southport Church of Christ woman who I somehow convinced to marry me. Thank you, Southport Church of Christ. You did me a real solid there. She's great. Now, I do not share any of this, any of my story to boast. Honestly, I do not. I have nothing to boast about. I wasn't even actively searching for God. But when I share a bit of my story, I do so knowing that God is a God of unmerited, undeserved favor that he is willing to pour out upon us. I did nothing to earn salvation. And after... Over a decade, I can't even, I don't know, 15 years of being a Christian, I, I have nothing in me that would ever deserve it still. But when I look back over my story, I see God's grace just at work time and time again. Only He can change hearts. Only He can change desires. Only He can transform lives and bring us life and freedom. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, uh, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Guys, and this is the grace of God in all of our stories. We have all entered by grace. None of us can boast. Which brings me from my story to your story this morning. Now, it may look different, but this same grace is present in all. All of our stories, whatever the condition of your heart is this morning, no matter what is going on in your life right now, God's grace is working on your behalf, drawing you to himself by his grace. That is what is happening right now, whether you see it or not. You may have a story like mine. You might have a dramatic shift uh, that occurred. You might have a different story where you were raised by Christian parents in your faith and it felt like you were trained and discipled into it until it became your own faith and your own personal relationship with God. And honestly, that is grace working in salvation as well. I pray, I so pray that my kids get that story. 
But one of the tough things that all of us have to accept about grace, and, and Adam touched on this last week, is that so often we want to bring a little bit of our own righteousness, a little bit of our own works, and we want to mix that in with grace before we accept it. We struggle just to helplessly and with grateful abandon just surrender to the almighty grace of God poured out upon us. And we struggle to just accept it in our hearts and in our minds deeply. Because some of you right now will be dismissing yourself from this. Thinking, yeah, but I was raised in a Christian home and, and I, should have known, I should know better uh, than, than that. Uh, it's not the same for me. Oh, yeah, but he didn't do the things that I did. Oh, yeah, but since I, I became a Christian, I've done this and I've done that and I haven't done all of these things. And we kind of bring our works and our behavior into the mix and we dismiss ourselves from the wonder of his grace so easily. So often when we come face to face with, with God's grace, we can fall into two extremes. One, we can either just not acknowledge kind of our sins and our failures and then never really be truly grateful for his grace. Or on the other hand, what we can do is we can just feel so condemned by our sin and by our shame that we don't fully look his grace in the face and live in gratitude that all of that is fully covered by it. We can sometimes be so unforgiving of ourselves that we refuse to accept and dwell on the wonder of his almighty grace. Instead, we can sometimes just dismiss it and we'll think something like, oh, maybe next week if I'm just a bit better, if I do just a bit better, then I can accept his grace. We can try to write ourselves out of the story of God's abundant grace in our lives. But Romans 5.8 says this, But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Really ponder that for a moment. You cannot write yourself out of God's grace because while you were at your worst, while you were still a sinner positioned in the enemy's camp, warring against God, warring against righteousness, he loved you and he died for you. That is how he proves his deep love for you. You see, when two forces collide, it is the stronger force that wins. We cannot afford to believe that our sin and our shame and our guilt is going to win out in a confrontation with God's grace. It doesn't. His grace is far more grand and far more powerful than that. We cannot afford to bring down His grace to the type of level of grace that we would show others. Um, some time ago, uh, my wife asked me if I could shower uh, one of our one-year-old babies. I will not name this baby because I don't ever want to shame them. Um, but I thought, yes, yeah, sure. I'm a 21st century engaged dad. I can shower the baby. So I, I picked up the baby and I walked over to the shower and I ripped off the baby's nappy. Uh, and as I walked over, I realized uh, that the baby had pooped. And I Usually the smell is a dead giveaway, but not this time. And so I looked down and there was baby poop all down my side where I was holding this baby and all over my hand. Yeah, gross, I know. It was disgusting. Anyway, it was, it was a bit of an ordeal for me. So I, I, I'm like, oh, look, I'll just try and rinse the baby poop off in the shower. So I tried to turn the handles on, but there was mess on my hand. I didn't want to get on the shower handles. I somehow maneuvered it, but it was a bit too hot. The baby was kind of reaching out to grab the water. It was too hot. So it was kind of, anyway, it was just a whole wrestle with mess. The, the, the water would not get it off as well. So I, I'm like, I need soap for this situation, but I don't want to put all this mess all over the soap dispenser. Anyway, the whole time I'm calling out, Stace, 
States, code brown, code brown. And either she didn't hear me or she didn't want to hear me. The verdict is still out on that. Anyway, one of the, I'm pretty sure one of the kids comes in and is like, oh, gross. And then I'm like, I'm like yeah, yeah, it is gross. Go get mum. Anyway, they must have forgotten while they were walking down the hallway or something, as they so often did. Anyway, eventually I get this whole awful situation kind of uh, sorted out and cleaned up. It was such an unpleasant experience. There's, there's way more of those type of experiences in our household than there should be. But after that whole messy ordeal, I just looked down uh, at that little face and there was just no hint of anger, no hint of frustration, no hint of bitterness. It, was, it didn't change how I felt or the depth of my love. It was just a situation that had to be addressed. It didn't change the relationship at all. And I felt like in that moment, I just had this little picture of the father heart of God. If I, as just some broken, impatient, earthly father, can see past the mess and just love, how much more can God He's bigger than our mess. He's with us through our messiest moments, just getting to work, cleaning us up, and getting us on our way. God looks at us with far greater compassion than I think we dare to believe. He knows our weakness. He knows our brokenness. He knows our hearts and our stories and our past, and he loves us, and he forgives us, and he pours out his grace on us. He pours out his grace on you right now in this moment. Don't dismiss yourself from this truth this morning. He proves his love for you by dying for you. God's grace is present in your story. In Romans chapter 5, uh, it continues on in verse 9 to 10 to say, Therefore, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from wrath through him? For if when you were, we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, I know what a lot of us are probably doing right now. We are turning the other side of coin, coin thinking, you know what? Yeah, but faith without good deeds is dead. But yeah, we can't go easy on sin. God hates sin. Sin cannot be found in his presence. Yes. Yes. But all of our faith, all of our good works, all of our fruit flows from grace. And we cannot think that we need to receive it by adding good works to the reason that we think we can receive it. I'm going to say that again. We need to receive it without adding good works to the reason that we believe we can receive it. A conditional grace is not grace. It's a business deal. You see, our best moments, our best good deeds are insufficient to justify us. Isaiah 64, 6 lays out um, how God saw the deeds and the acts of the Israelites during um, Isaiah's lifetime. And, and they had rebelled against God. Uh, and Isaiah put himself in the same category as the rest of Israel. And he says from verse 6, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. 
Now, I'm not going to unpack for you the Hebrew meaning of the word filthy rags there. Uh, you can do that research in your own time. Uh, but just think of it as something really unclean. On your best day, your best day with the best motives you've ever had, relying on your good works to justify you is like presenting God with some filthy rag that you pulled out of the bin as if that can grant you acceptance, as if that can cover your sin, can bring you the faultlessness that you would need to stand one day in the presence of God. And if on your best day you cannot do enough, then we all here this morning can just take a step back from our good deeds and surrender again to the grace of God. Now, that's not to say that we can't do righteous acts, that we can't produce good fruit in our lives. I mean, this part of Scripture is not saying that. In fact, we are called to do that. But no deeds done have the power to cover that incredible chasm between our unrighteousness and God's righteousness. And now some of us might be further along on that sanctification journey, but no one here in this room is more worthy than any other to stand before God. We all enter the exact same way. Dressed in a robe of righteousness, taken off the back of Jesus Christ and placed over our shoulders while we were still enemies of God. You see, we're all going to stand one day before the judgment seat of God with full substitution from Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God. That it will be as if Jesus is standing there instead of us being judged on our behalf. It is a truly wondrous grace that we are shown by God Almighty. And guys, it is really hard to not just take this straight onto an application. As a preacher, I always just want to go there to an application of the sermon. But sometimes what we need more than just some extra thing to do is an adjustment to our beliefs or to our mindsets or the way that we see ourselves and God. Sometimes we just need time to sit under the magnitude of the truth of God. There's a really uh, simple but really awesome quote by C.S. Lewis uh, where he says, The present is the only time in which any duty may be done or grace received. And so I think it could be a really powerful opportunity for us this morning uh, just to take a moment to pause here. Like, why push forward past an opportunity to receive and to really wonder at his grace? So right now, what we might do uh, in a moment, we'll put some backing music up for one minute, and I just want to, you guys just to engage with God in prayer right now about this. Instead of just pushing this back to some arbitrary time in the future that may never come, let's do it now. Let's let the truth that you stand faultless and fully washed before God because of the cross take root. Take a hold of that truth forcefully by faith and ponder that reality of grace in your life. And if a thought comes up in, into your mind as you're doing that that tries to dismiss you or excuse you from it, just reject it on the basis of the truth of God's word. Also try not to self-justify um, that is just as fruitless. Try not to think, oh, I did all right this week, or I didn't, or I'm doing better than that person. That does not bring us freedom. Instead, just accept and just ponder the grace of God in your story. 1 Corinthians 5.21 is an insane part of the Bible. It almost feels heretical when you read it. It says, God made him who knew no sin 
to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that so wonderful? This is why Jesus died. This is the full picture of the grace of God, that he bore our sins that we don't have to. And if you struggle, struggle just to accept that uh, and live it out, this is just a really great time to wrestle that out in your mind. Because 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to take just a minute or so right now, and we're just going to ponder on that. And pause. I'm really sorry to interrupt you if you're having a really beautiful moment there, but please feel free to continue that with the Lord later on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7 uh, says this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I think there's no better way to start 2023 than us really dwelling on and pondering the grace of God for all of us. God's grace is not conditional. It is not predicated upon our performance or the good works that we bring. But God's grace doesn't just save us. It seats us with him. It empowers us. It changes us. The riches of his grace are the full measure of his kindness expressed in Jesus. And it's not from us. It's the gift of God. None of us can boast. And so as we close this morning, it's really good for us to remember that as we dwell on the grace of God in our own lives, it becomes a lens by which we can start to see the world around us as well. We can start to see the grace of God in our neighbors' stories. Because none of us can boast in our own righteousness, we can love our neighbors. We can see that God is working in their lives in that same way. We can show grace even to our enemies. We can love our enemies. We can pray for those who persecute us. Because Jesus empowers us to say, like he did, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Grace empowers us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. There is power in the grace of God. And as we bask in that grace, it so often overflows from our lives. And that is where uh, the church is really going to shine in this world. I honestly believe that. I might just get the worship team to come up. God's goodness, guys, I think we, just, we should try to keep it central throughout 2023. Because the truth is God's grace is central. It's central in my story. It's central in your story. It is central in our neighbor's story. His grace is there. It's there in the blessings that we experience every day. It is there in our salvation. It is there in our walk with him. It is there when we overcome sin, and it is there when we fall. It's even there when we have absolutely no idea, working behind the scenes, God's grace is the gospel and ultimately it is just guiding us to him. 
And so this morning, we cannot finish, though, uh, without saying that if you have never experienced that grace for yourself, I want to encourage you to do so. If you have never reached out to God to receive his forgiveness and his grace and the life that he offers, this morning may very well be your morning to do that. Feel free uh, to come down to the front uh, during the last song. I would love to pray with you to receive Jesus for yourself, receive his grace, receive his forgiveness, and experience that life that he offers. Um, Also, if you guys have any other prayer needs at all, feel free to come down the front during the last song. I would love to pray with you. One of the other pastors or the the prayer team would uh, as well. Uh, Thank you so much, guys, uh, and have a really blessed week. Thanks. Thanks, Dean.